I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle. And I'm Harvinder Vadva. We're the hosts of Inappropriate Questions, and we're back with Season 3. With some fantastic guests, we break down questions like... Is asking where are you from appropriate small talk? Is it okay to ask a co-worker how much do you make? Should you ask a polyamorous person, do you get jealous? Inappropriate Questions Season 3. Available now on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. You're listening to White Coat Black Art in the summer. This is an encore of an episode that aired in October 2022. COVID-19 may be ebbing, but we're dealing with collateral damage. This week, the Public Health Agency of Canada said there's evidence the pandemic is contributing to the overdose crisis affecting this country. According to the latest figures, on average, 21 Canadians die each day of an opioid overdose, mostly fentanyl, a problem that shows no signs of letting up. And this isn't just happening in big cities like Vancouver, Montreal, or Toronto. As we found out, the opioid crisis is devastating small towns right across the country. CBC reporter Logan Turner has been looking at the impact of fentanyl on one such town in northwestern Ontario. Like many others, it doesn't have a safe injection site or a detox center. It doesn't have a shelter for people at risk. What it does have is a woman who knows what it takes to save lives because she's been there. Hello. Good, how are you? Not bad. That's good. What do you want to do to start? Um, can I give you a hug? (laughs) I intended on doing that, but I expected to see you walking. That's CBC reporter Logan Turner arriving in Dryden, a small Ontario city near the Manitoba border. It's an isolated mill town with a population of just over 7,000. Logan, welcome to White Coat Black Art. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So tell me about Shauna and why did you give her that hug? Yeah, that's Shauna Pinkerton. She's someone I've known quite closely over the last two years. She's a mother of three, born and lived most of her life in Dryden, has short jet black hair, and Shauna is one of the most compassionate and driven harm reduction advocates you will meet in Northwestern Ontario. She's really open about her own history of substance use. You know, Shauna's been living with addiction for most of her life. She talks about smoking crack at 12, being dependent on alcohol and cannabis at 15, living in Vancouver's downtown east side a few years later and talks about her lifelong journey of recovery what did you know uh, about the situation in dryden going in Honestly, not much. Like, I'm based in Thunder Bay. It's the de facto hub of northwestern Ontario, and it's a place that's quickly become a hotspot for Canada's overdose crisis. You know, on a per capita basis last year, Thunder Bay had an overdose death rate more than three times the average in Ontario, a death rate that was higher than even Vancouver. Right across northern Ontario, we're seeing a disturbing number of people dying from drug-related overdoses. But the difference between Thunder Bay and somewhere smaller like Dryden is resources. Can you say more about that? Yeah, Dryden does not have an overnight shelter. No permanent warming or cooling center, no safe consumption site, no detox center. They have some mental health and addiction counseling services, a needle exchange program, and a handful of people like Shauna, determined to do what they can to help others struggling in the community. Without knowing the story yet, the lack of resources in places like Dryden seems daunting. How the heck is Shauna able to help in a place like that? 
Yeah, well, she's going right into the cracks and corners of Dryden's poorest communities to connect with drug users, to offer them safe supplies and help. Where did my other cups go? So here we are in a downtown parking lot outside the local health unit office by her gray SUV, what's essentially become her personal mobile outreach vehicle, and Shauna's trunk is brimming with supplies. The instructions for these so I can read them to make sure I'm doing it. These are generally what people use meth for, but they're also used for fentanyl, too. With the hatch open, Shauna scans the trunk. Half-open boxes, plastic bags filled. To me, it looks like chaos, but Shauna knows exactly what she's reaching for, making a personalized box for the house that we're about to go see. And there, that's much what I'm gonna them. Yeah, we'll go see what they're up to over there. How many, this house that we're gonna go to, how many um, people typically are there? It just depends. There could be 20 there, there might be just two there. It just depends. So Shauna mentioned crack pipes, naloxone kits, cups, and bubbles. Clearly, this is what they call harm reduction. I've seen kits like this assembled and distributed in places like Vancouver's downtown east side. Logan, can you say more about what those bubbles are and, and why is Shauna handing them out? Yeah, so bubbles are like glass pipes. They have a stem with a bowl that's, uh, you heard her say, most often used for smoking meth, um, although they're also used to smoke fentanyl. Um, so we're outside the local public health office, and we're about to bring these clean supplies to a house where people often gather to use. Now, Shauna knows they're going to use substances anyways, but she'd rather they have clean supplies to prevent the spread of diseases and to continue to provide that education about harm reduction. And this is not necessarily 101. Shauna told you there might be as many as 20 people there when she pays a visit. She doesn't seem phased by that at all. No, not at all. That's part of the job. Shauna says she never knows what to expect when she goes into a house to bring safe supplies. She told me, you know, one time there was a moment when she walked in and three people were overdosing all at the same time and she had to help, you know, drop everything and help with that response. And so uh, very much this is just part of the job. Uh, She's prepared for whatever may be happening in the house. So we arrive to the house, and Shauna goes in to make sure it's fine that I come in. We'll, we'll go try. Okay. He's okay with me coming in? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I gotta grab the strips. During this visit, Shauna has a new tool she's been given by the health unit to try to save lives and prevent overdoses among people who use drugs. A fentanyl testing strip. Hello? Where are you, Bobby? Bob? This is Logan from CDC. This is Bob. Great, I see him over here. Oh, here's the slides. I need it. Shauna takes the pipe and she starts preparing the fentanyl checking strip. Logan, stop the tape. That's really interesting. Uh, You know, these are test strips. 
uh, that detect the residue of fentanyl in drug paraphernalia. Fentanyl, of course, is the powerful synthetic opioid that's 50 to 100 times more powerful than morphine and is responsible for many, if not most, of the opioid deaths that we're seeing here in Canada. I gather that the test kits are meant for home use, and that's interesting because a research study uh, from Vancouver's downtown east side and other communities that was released earlier this year found that you don't have to be a physician or other healthcare provider to use those test strips to detect fentanyl. Non-medical people like Shauna get accurate results too. Well, and actually, Brian, that's the exact hope of this project. You know, once people who are using drugs learn how to test their own drugs, it'll become a more routine part of their use, or that's the hope. You know, with the testing strips becoming part of the harm reduction kits like naloxone and clean syringes. But at this point, Shauna's still showing people how to use the strips themselves. Okay, let's hear some more. So I'm just taking the residue out of the pipes, just kind of letting it sit in there for a second and then dumping it into the cup. We've done two pipes now. We'll see. Then I'm adding, this is equivalent to six cookers full of water. Okay, okay now I'm going to add the water. very well so then finally I'm going to take the test strip so you hold it by the blue end and it is positive so yeah it's definitely positive for fentanyl so just be aware of what you're smoking big question Bob do you think that this will like for the people that do meth and they do these tests and it comes back and has fentanyl in it do you think that they'll change their behavior a little bit? Like say if they had tainted meth, do you think they would use less? Or, because like me as an addict, if I bought something I wouldn't, and it came back positive, I would still use it. Yeah, I don't know. Logan, you know, this is incredible because what she's saying is that if a meth user uh, accidentally or unintentionally uh, ingest something that has the residue of fentanyl, they could die of an overdose right there, especially if they're not regular me- uh, fentanyl users. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's part of the big question around these fentanyl testing strips, right? There's, you know, a study just recently done in Thunder Bay uh, that showed just how toxic, you know, and unpredictable the illicit drug supply is. And what they found, you know, as part of the study was that, uh, you know, some two thirds of people who use drugs that, uh, you know, participate in this study, um, they found that they actually didn't know what some of the different substances were in the, in the drug that they were using. But the question that kind of remains unanswered is what, you know, how does that knowledge change behavior? And so that's part of, you know, the question around the fentanyl test strips right now that uh, healthcare physicians have because these aren't perfect, right? The the test strips don't say how much fentanyl is contained in a drug or if it's likely to cause an overdose, uh, you know, or if it will change behaviors of people who use the substances. You know, but Shauna says it's still a tool and it's one of the few that she has to prevent people she loves from dying. We'll be right back. I'm Keith MacArthur, 
Unlocking Bryson's Brain is a podcast about my son, <laughs> the rare disease that keeps him from walking or talking. I mean, Bryson's perfect, but his life is really hard. And our family's search for a cure. Oh my gosh, maybe science is ready for this. It's part memoir, part medical mystery. We can do just about anything. Modifying DNA. My heart and my throat. Cure is controversial. Unlocking Bryson's Brain. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to White Coat Blackheart. This week, Dryden, a small northern Ontario town on the Manitoba border, has been devastated by opioids. Shauna Pinkerton is a peer support worker, someone with lived experience using substances. She's on a one-person campaign to save lives by passing out fentanyl test strips, naloxone kits, and safe drug paraphernalia, and sometimes by being there when people overdose. The people she's trying to save aren't her clients. They're her friends, and sometimes her family. Here's more of my conversation with the CBC's Logan Turner. Uh, The thing about Shauna is that she's connected with so many of the people she helps. That's part of life in, you know, a small town like Dryden. And as we're at Bobby's house, she tells me something that really caught me off guard. Are you done, Bobby? This is my oldest son's father. Is Bobby? Okay. So, if I was to ever walk in and see him overdose, that would be the end of me. I'd be done. Logan, so Shauna has a personal connection to Bobby. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you just heard her. She whispered to me, Bobby's the father of Shauna's oldest son. The two were together for some time. You know, when Shauna overdosed for the first and only time, Bobby was there, and it was he who helped bring her back. So while that's over now, you can hear just how much she still cares for him. Okay, well, you're loaded up with supplies. Like I said, there's boxed tin foil, but you need to share it, okay? I think there's ten bubbles. Some crack pipes, kits. Yeah, you don't need filters and cookers and all that kind of shit, do you? Nothing. Yeah, I use the bubbles or tin. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So sure. I just need some drugs to go with them. <laughs> Can't help you out there, <laughs> And it also adds to layers of complexity here in in the relationships that Shauna has with people in the community in in Dryden. Um, at the same time. Clearly, Shauna is functioning as what we call a peer support worker. And we've done shows about that on White Coat Black Art. Peer support workers are people with lived experience. So they connect with the people they're trying to help because they've gone through the same stuff. Can you say more about that? Yeah, there is no us and them attitude here. You can you can see that sense of closeness. This is real peer support. Shauna has been in the exact same position as the people she's helping, dependent on substances. So their lives, their well-being mean everything to Shauna. Suddenly something that may seem kind of clinical, it becomes so personal. Nice to meet you, Bobby. Okay, love you, Bobby. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye. Oh, wow. You know, there's this matter-of-fact tone to, to uh, Shauna and the work that she's doing, but, you know, clearly she has a closeness to people who could die of a fentanyl overdose at any time. So, so you know, the, the thing that strikes me is that Shauna is a community support worker, but she must also be carrying a huge emotional burden. How did she grow into this pivotal role that she's playing? 
Yeah, no, that's a good question. I had first met Shauna in the spring of last year. She was pretty much doing the same thing, but for free, on her own, with no support. You know, when I had met Shauna, it was a particularly tough time for her. Three young people had died by suicide. Someone else died after a serious assault, another overdosed. All people Shauna knew personally, and all in the span of a couple months. You know, as COVID forced the few remaining resources in town to shut their doors, Shauna couldn't just sit quietly. So she started a Facebook group to bring attention to mental health, homelessness, and addiction issues facing the city. And that's when I met her. I traveled to Dryden to learn more about these issues. And Shauna, she took me through back alleys where people were using, into homes that would squeeze more than 10 people in at night, sleeping on the floor because there is no shelter, all the while handing out water, food, clean needles, and naloxone. It was all on a volunteer basis, but after we rolled out a series of stories about this time last year, that's when she was hired as a community support worker by a harm reduction organization based in Thunder Bay called Elevate NWO. As Shauna explains, you know, when Elevate hired her, there were few changes into what she was actually already doing. The biggest thing is that I've got more structure. Like I'm, I've got more routine, more like, and I've got accountability. I've got support which were all things that I was lacking being on my own, right? So what's brought me with a great group of people that share my same goals and beliefs as me. And I mean, Logan, I clearly don't do it for the $200 a month. Like, that's not what I'm in this for. $200 a month? Yeah, it's hard to believe. There are, you know, a couple of reasons for that. The first being that Elevate has limited funds and they're really trying to stretch the money as far as they can to have as much of an impact. But also, if Shauna or other community support workers make too much money, they could lose income supplements from the government or it could affect their eligibility for housing assistance. So really, Elevate gets a lot for their $200 a month. So Elevate has hired a network of more than 20 people with lived experience across seven small towns and cities in northwestern Ontario, including people who still use drugs. They go out and they distribute these clean supplies and provide education about harm reduction. What is Shauna's relationship with the healthcare establishment of Dryden? Is she a lone wolf? Does she work closely with them? So Shauna's position is funded by Elevate, but because that organization is based in Thunder Bay, she works most closely with the Northwestern Health Unit. So I met with Shauna and the three public health nurses with public health group in Dryden, Shelley McLarty, Diana Kruger, and Jordan Backus, to talk more about Shauna's role and how she fits in, you know, to uh, the healthcare establishment. Hello. Hello. I'm Shelley. Logan. Shelley, Logan. Hi. Nice to meet I'll shut the door. Oh, Hello. Great, it's nice to meet you all. So one of the first things we talk about is the new fentanyl testing strips and how that's going. Because they, they were just mesmerized with these things. They were like, they asked for a cake, can I get a case in them? <laughs> and I'm like, I only got five myself, dude. <laughs> like, like, I want to test this and that, and I want to just see what the results are of it. And I said, when I can get my hands on more, I'll come back and bring some to leave for you. And how important is that trust? Because obviously Shauna's so connected to the community. Yeah, for sure. No, Shauna, working with people like the CSWs and stuff is really important because they have that connection and that trust. And I feel like the CSWs have that lived experience that individuals who use drugs feel like they connect better more than myself. I have no lived experience. Same for Deanna and I. Yeah. We're like, Shauna has much better connection than we do. I mean, we have some connection, but 
it gives us that connection and you extend our reach. Yeah. There's clients that we know we couldn't reach without you. That's, that's it, as you extend our reach of getting to more people. And can I ask, like, where would you guys be without Shauna and community support workers? I really don't know, because the reach is so big with There'd be a gap in care. And really, without them vouching that we're okay to trust to talk to, I don't know if some of them would come and talk to us or access our services. Like, sometimes they're the key to why some people will finally come and, you know, they need to get tested for this or that. They'll come and see us because they say that we're good people and you can trust that person because they've had such distrust in healthcare and and other services in the communities wherever they've been that they don't feel that they can, you know, just go on their own. Boy, Logan, I mean, it, it's pretty incredible, you know, how pivotal the role uh, community support workers play. Um, really, they go above and beyond what uh, the local healthcare workers are able to provide. And, you know, what, from what I've just heard, it's sobering how little trust they have in the healthcare system to help them deal with the opioid crisis. Why do you think that is? Yeah, there are lots of studies that speak to the distrust between people who use substances and healthcare practitioners. But when it comes to why, there are, you know, multiple reasons and everyone's reasons are different. But historically, there's been a lot of shame that people who use drugs feel when they go to see healthcare practitioners. People who use may not feel understood or valued in that healthcare setting, their health concerns minimized or treated incorrectly. But Shauna and the other community sport workers, they have that trust with people who use because they have li- that lived experience. They also know what's happening in Dryden. You know, and that was something that was on full display whenever I was driving around with Shauna, who would frequently point out houses and describe what was happening within them. Down there, two meth houses, uh, very meth-polluted area. This is very meth-concentrated. And how do you know this? Because I go to these houses. <laughs> So, and I know if I don't see them at the houses, I'll see them at somewhere like Bob's, and I know what drugs they use, so. To be clear, when Shauna says polluted area, she means polluted by fentanyl and meth. Given all the overdoses she sees, what kind of toll is this work taking on her? Yeah, it does take a toll. You can see it. The trauma, the experiences Shauna's had spill out every time we talk. Shauna says she's helped bring a lot of people back from an overdose, but this year she saw someone die for the very first time, and it happened right across the street from her house. It took a real toll on my mental health, big time, big time. Um, I probably didn't get out of bed for about a month afterwards. I was so depressed. I don't know if depressed was the right word. My mind was just going and going and going. What could I have done differently? Why didn't I run across the street? And I had to run up to the car to grab the Narcan because that's where it was. Um, like, why Why didn't I have, like, I had Narcan in the house. Why didn't I grab one of those? Why didn't I run just, run, why did I take the back door, not the front door? What if I would have been two minutes earlier? Would have, that have made a difference? Like... So many things just went through my mind, like, I almost felt responsible for it. But so much, it was so much was happening at once, like, the, the police are there, the, uh, you, do you know what I mean? All you see is black boots everywhere, like, 
you know, and like the thudding of black boots and the the loud voices of the police and the like, you know, your heart's going a million miles a minute and you you know you're just praying and praying and praying and it just it 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 ripped my heart open, it really did it ripped my heart, my soul, my it felt like all that I've been trying to do just got washed away, like it just was gone. Like, I tried so hard to help this girl, and I felt like I failed so miserably. So it was really hard. Still is hard. Wow, Logan. The guilt that Shauna bears is palpable. And and she's part, and, and, and I mean, there's a reason why she feels that way. She's a huge part of a safety net that appears to be hanging on by a thread. And it makes me wonder, you know, what do you think keeps her going? That's honestly, Brian, a question I've asked Shauna time and time again, every time we meet and she tells me this story. And for her, at least, it seems to be this sense of duty she has. I've always had it in my, my heart and my head that when my children got old enough, I was going to go back to Vancouver and help the way people help me. But then, all of a sudden, Vancouver moved dried and... I, I don't have to go to Vancouver anymore. I, I need to help here. I need to help my hometown. I was brought home to be safe, and it's not safe here. It's far, far from it. And Brian, the work she's doing, you've heard, it's having an impact. Shauna knows she's saving lives, but the work has limitations. She alone can't bring a shelter or a detox center to Dryden. She can't test everyone's drugs for fatal levels of fentanyl or benzodiazepines. Her home isn't a safe injection site. Shauna's doing everything she can to meet people where they may be in their lives and help But that work doesn't replace the resources that mental health addiction experts say are desperately needed in the small towns and cities across the country. So Dryden has all the problems that Vancouver's downtown east side has and almost none of the resources except for people like Shauna. And you just have to wonder where communities like Dryden would be without volunteers like her. Um, you know, Logan Turner, I want to thank you so much for shining a light on the role played by community support workers like Shauna and for bringing the story to White Coat Black Art. No, thank you for having me. For years, the Northwestern Health Unit, which serves 19 small municipalities that include Dryden, have had community peer support workers like Shauna. Making those relationships more formal has extended the health unit's reach into the community of those who use substances, including those with precarious housing. Shauna's commitment comes at a personal cost. Following the death she witnessed, she needed months of support from the health unit, her counselor, and family to get back on the job. And that's just one story. Last year alone, the region saw 31 souls die from opioid-related overdoses, close to double the year before. That's our show this week. Our email address is whitecoat at cbc.ca. Whitecoat Black Art was produced this week by Jeff Goods with help from Sujata Berry and Dose producer Stephanie Dubois. Welcome back, Stephanie and Sujata. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. Special thanks this week to our CBC colleague, Logan Turner, in Thunder Bay. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.